Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 will be mainly in 1 Timothy 3, but we'll be referring uh, to the Titus passage as well. We've thought about why there should be elders in the church. We've thought about what elders do in the church. And today and on Wednesday evening, we want to think about who they must be. Who must elders be? What kind of people must they be? I don't know if we have any fans of The Apprentice TV show in church this morning. Uh, Maybe some of you tuned in last Thursday night to see who Lord Sugar tore to shreds this week before pointing to them and declaring, you're fired. Um, I have to say, I, I find it quite entertaining, purely as an observer of human nature. I know that it's probably all very contrived and very orchestrated, but it never ceases to amaze me how confident looking and confident sounding these aspiring businessmen and women are and yet how often they make the silliest of mistakes. Uh, There was a task a few weeks ago they had to design and market their own video game and one of the teams decided to call their game Arctic Mission but they spelt the word Arctic incorrectly and so in all the promotional material standing before some of the world's greatest video game experts they had these big banners that said Arctic Mission instead of Arctic Mission. And of course, the person responsible for that uh, misspelling was promptly fired at the end of that episode. And I'm sure some of you in your workplaces, you've come across people who claim to be qualified for the job they were doing. But one way or another, it became clear that they were not qualified at all. Important jobs require people to be qualified. In the world of work or business, that usually means that they have certain achievements to their name that they have studied or they have taken on an apprenticeship and they've achieved certain things. They have five or seven or ten GCSEs or a diploma or a degree, five years experience in the field, whatever it may be. But in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul lays out who is qualified for leadership in the church. And these qualifications are not at all about achievements academic or otherwise these qualifications are to do with a person's character what kind of person are they regardless of how much money is in their bank account or how high achieving they are uh, those things are nowhere near as important when it comes to the question of church leadership as the character of the people leading There are two opposite mistakes we could make when it comes to studying the qualifications of elders today and God willing on Wednesday night. Uh, The first mistake would be for us all to be left feeling that there is no man on earth worthy to be an elder, not just in our congregation, but in any congregation. As I've tried to emphasize in the past few weeks, there is only one perfect shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the job of all other shepherds to point people to him. There are no perfect elders on earth. We all have our weaknesses and inadequacies. And so these qualifications that we're going to study, uh, they may be, in a sense, some of them underdeveloped in a potential elder, though preferably they are well-developed. But the key thing about these qualifications is that they cannot be wholly absent in an elder. So we're not to come away from these next two sermons thinking no one could ever meet these qualifications. Of course, there are areas and times that all of us fall short, but some people do qualify to be elders, albeit imperfect elders. 
But then the other mistake that we could make when it comes to thinking through the qualifications of elders is to set the bar, as it were, too low. In many churches today, these qualifications that we're going to study have been minimized or they have been overlooked or just totally ignored. They've been treated maybe as a useful starting point, but maybe a bit quaint, some of them perhaps a bit out of date and not vital for those who take up leadership in the church. They should not be treated that way, friends. The word must appears four times in the two passages we just read. We're not reading about optional things here, things that be good if elders had them, but don't worry if they don't. In the same way that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you're not born again, you're not saved. Well, equally, as we read through these qualifications of elders, if someone does not have them at all, they are not qualified to be an elder. And one last thing to say by way of introduction is that almost all of the things that we're going to study and think about today and on Wednesday, they actually should be true of all Christians, not just elders. With the exception of being a man and of being able to teach God's word, we should all be seeking to show the character traits in our lives that are to be especially true of elders. Especially true of elders. So as we work through them, think of most of them them as things that you ought to be praying for in your life regardless of whether God calls you to be an elder. And think think of them as things that must be true in any man you consider voting for to be an elder. Over today and on Wednesday, we're going to think about these qualifications under three broad categories. And we're going to just consider one category today. And that is the man himself, the qualifications of the man himself. And if you have a bulletin, you can see the outline of where we're going today. But the first qualification to consider here from Scripture is that church elders must be men. Church elders must be men. There's actually very little in this list of elder qualifications that would likely cause offense even to non-Christians. Even non-Christians can probably understand and even agree with many of the things on this list that church elders must have. They're not going to take issue, you would think, for example, with the fact that a church elder must be respectable or gentle or self-controlled. But many outside the church, indeed, sadly, some inside some churches as well, would certainly take issue with Paul declaring that an elder must be a man, the husband of one wife, rather than the wife of one husband. And yet this is the consistent teaching and pattern of the whole Bible. Earlier in his letter, 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Does Paul say these things because he's a sexist? Does Paul think women are inferior to men? Do we as a church think that women are inferior to men? Well, of course not. Consider the example of Christ himself, who more so than any other male Jewish teacher in his culture, allowed women to follow him at close quarters even to minister to his needs, who had brotherly relationships of love and care with women, some of them who would have been treated as total pariahs and outcasts 
by their society. Women who were amongst Jesus' closest followers, people like Mary and Martha and his own mother, Mary even, in the, in the early days of the church. Consider what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, put her needs first. Cherish her, honor her, respect her. Consider her more important than yourself. And Paul was writing those words and Christ himself was ministering in in those ways in a time when it was very much a a man's world. Men could marry and divorce freely. Uh, Mistresses, prostitution, adultery were all very common in the first century Roman world. Marriage was something of a joke. At least the idea of remaining faithful to one partner in marriage was something of a joke. It was a man's world and marriage was really just a way of passing on his estate to an heir but in such a culture friends Paul says women are to be loved cherished respected because men and women are equally image bearers of God Genesis 1 27 God created man in his own image male and female he created them and so even the radical feminists and even the proponents of the LGBT agenda today they borrow in a sense their starting point from the Bible that we are all equal that's what they'll shout at you until they're blue in the face we all have equal dignity value and worth as human beings and that's true but that belief is only in our culture because the Bible has had such a huge impact on our culture for such a long time of course it's the leaps that those groups take from that point that we completely disagree with the point being friends the Lord Jesus the Apostle Paul were not sexists or misogynists Paul worked with women he prayed with women he encouraged women to serve in the church he specifically wrote to them to that end people like Lydia and Priscilla and Phoebe and many others it's not that Paul or the or the Bible thinks that women are incapable of teaching, incapable of carrying out some of the things that elders do. That's one of the first accusations that thrown at us today. Are you saying that women just aren't capable of doing these things? The issue is nothing to do with ability or culture. The reason is simply given in 1 Timothy 2.13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. God has created us in his image, yes, equally, but differently, complementary, in complementary ways. And both in the home and in the church are complementary rules as men and women are designed with a purpose. The Bible says that marriage between one man and one woman is a picture of Christ and the church. And so in both the home and in the church, That is to be patterned and lived out as the man sacrificially leads and those under his authority humbly and lovingly submit not to a tyrant, not to a bully, but to a friend and a Christ-like shepherd. It's worth emphasizing too as well that it's not the case that every man in every church is in authority over every woman in the church. No married men, sorry, married men are in authority over their wives and if they are if they're fathers over their children. And the elders hold an office of authority over everyone, male and female, in the church. 
It's also not the case that women have no opportunity to use gifts in church life, even teaching gifts. Again, whether in the home, in Sabbath school, in women's fellowship, uh, on the mission field, there are dozens of opportunities. Paul specifically says in Titus 2 verse 3, older women are to teach what is good. And he specifies they're to teach younger women. And so there are any number of ways for a woman with speaking or teaching gifts to use them for the glory of God, both inside and outside the church. But to honour the creation order and pattern established by God, to live out the picture that he wants of Christ in his church, elders must be men. Just consider the logic of it, friends. Paul says in Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. How could a man possibly be the head of his wife if his wife was also his pastor? How could that possibly work? It's a complete clashing of rules. And so ladies, God's plan for your life might mean many things, but it does not mean that you are to be an elder. This is the argument that I've heard used today. Well, I prayed about it and I believe God has told me. Well, with respect, you're wrong. God has not told you. He has said clearly in his word. He says right here he does, that it is to be a man, it is to be the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. And we should remember too, friends, that most men are not going to be elders either. Only a very small number. And perhaps for those of you men and women who won't ever bear the responsibilities of church leadership, who won't have to do the work of church leadership, that's a relief as much as anything else. And so to the women of our congregation, I hope you will always feel encouraged by me and the other elders to use your God-given gifts in ways that he commands. But God only calls men and only some men to be elders. Church elders must be men. Secondly, church elders must be Christian men and strong Christian men. They must be Christian men and strong Christian men. In the church at large, again, this is not a given. I personally know preachers in other denominations who are working with a session that is perhaps only 50% saved. That is dishonoring to Christ and it is a disaster for the church. Elders must be Christians and they must be mature Christians, tried and tested Christians who are an example to others of how to cope with crises, how to handle trials, how to be faithful in prayer, how to bear up under the various ups and downs of Christian living. Even the word elder suggests as much. An elder, the word referring primarily to an older person or a more experienced person. Now this doesn't entirely rule out younger men. Paul was writing to Timothy after all, who was quite young himself. He actually says, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, uh, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So young men are not ruled out from eldership, but the qualifier here is mature faith, no matter what age you are. Uh, that's why Paul says in verse 6 that someone who hasn't been a Christian for very long cannot be an elder. 
If someone has only just become a Christian, they have a lot to learn. They need to be discipled. They need to be nurtured in the church. Uh, and it is not the place for them to be in authority over others. That's why, by the way, handing a microphone to a new convert and asking them to give their testimony during a public worship service is often not a good idea. It's not helpful. It's, uh, it's, it's pressure that a young convert doesn't need. Uh, they might get confused. They might not be quite yet able to articulate their faith. It can lead to confusion for them and for others. Uh, and so uh, it's best that young converts be welcomed into the church and nurtured and discipled and trained up before they use their gifts in the church. There's a terrible obsession in our society and it's crept into the wider church with novelty. An assumption that whatever or whoever is the newest or the latest is the best simply because they are the newest and the latest. And so great emphasis is placed. Well, if we can get some Christian celebrity athlete or musician to come to our church, well, that'll, that'll bring the crowds in. And we'll have to hear what they need to say. We should, of course, rejoice over every profession of faith and over every new faith and every new convert brought into the church. But when it comes to who leads and teaches in the church, Paul says it should be tried, tested, mature Christian men. One of the most crucial things Paul says here is that an overseer of the church must be above reproach. He says it here in the Timothy passage. He says it twice in the Titus passage that the elder must be above reproach. Some of your translations will have blameless. What the word means is that there can't be anything <coughs> in the man's life which is blatantly and obviously sinful. There can't be anything in the man's life that is, is publicly known that just shows an immaturity or a basic lack of understanding of how the church works or of the tenets of the faith. Again, it's not that the man must be perfect. None of us are. But there must be no obvious, ongoing, habitual sin in his life. He's not addicted to anything. He's not needlessly working on the Lord's day. He's not a man who treats his employees poorly or is known as a dodgy dealer in the community. There's nothing that anyone could ever hold against him and say, but what about that? He is above reproach, a strong, experienced, steady and humble Christian man. Thirdly, and more briefly, the church elder must have a desire for the work he must be a man, he must be a strong Christian man, and he must be a man with a desire for the work of being a church elder. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now Paul is not saying here that men in the church should have a worldly or, or selfish ambition to be an elder. You know, they don't need to go around canvassing and holding election campaigns uh, to become elders. But he's saying that any man who becomes an elder must appreciate the importance of the work that he is called to do. He values it. He sees it as work that is worthwhile to do. He sees the, the need for someone to do it. It's not that he just wants to be in an important office in the church. It's that he wants to see the church flourish. 
He, he wants to see the church's needs met. He already prays in a pastoral way for the members of the church. He already serves and shows commitment to the church however he can. As I said in previous weeks, we should be considering men who already do many of the things that elders are required to do. Men who pretty much never miss morning and evening worship. Who already come to be part of Bible studies, prayer meetings, times of fellowship. Who already serve in some way or other. Obviously there are circumstances when it's maybe not possible for a man to come to worship or other activities because of sickness or family responsibilities. But if they're usually not there now, why would they suddenly start doing it when they're elected to office? We don't want men doing these things just because they have to. We want men who have a desire for these things, who have a a desire for church life, who have a love for Christ and his people. The church elder must have a desire for his work. And then the last thing uh, to say today, and this just really captures several qualifications that overlap, but church elders must be sober-minded, self-controlled, and holy men. Church elders must be sober-minded, self-controlled, and holy men. And these words really uh, overlap and fit together. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 says, Elders must be sober-minded. The NIV has temperate. Temperate. Some countries today have extreme climates. Uh, Cyprus, a place we heard about not too long ago, is pretty much always extremely hot. The Arctic, or the Arctic, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is pretty much always extremely cold. Northern Ireland, of course, is fairly moderate. When it's cold, it's really not that cold. When it's windy, apart from this past week or two, it's really not that windy. And when it's hot, it's really not that hot. It's a very mild, moderate climate. And Paul is saying that the the elder should be like that in his temper. It should be moderate. The elder should be a man who isn't extreme in how he reacts to things. Whether it's personal bad news, someone coming to him with a personal problem that might be shocking to hear about. He doesn't get too carried away when things go well. He doesn't get too blown down or in a flap when things don't go so well. He's well balanced. He has the ability to take things in take them in his stride, keep himself under control as he weighs up how to respond. Paul says in verse 2 that an elder is to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. In any given week, an elder could get all kinds of news. An elderly member of the church has passed away. A young person has done really well in an exam. A neighbor has come around with a really difficult problem. An elder must be a man who takes those things in his stride and and deals with them calmly and with self-control. And he's able to do that, friends, because he's at peace within himself. That's part of what the word sober-minded means as well, that this man has a grip on himself, on the temptations that he's facing, on the workload that he has. He's able to be organized. He's able to keep work in check so that he has time for other things. He is able to look after his family and give them the time that he needs. And of course there are times in all of our lives when these things are we're, we're being pulled in all directions and we all know how that feels and we go through particularly busy seasons of family life or work life 
It's not to say that uh, we can avoid those things uh, all the time. But in the midst of those things, friends, the man is self-controlled. He, he keeps on walking closely with Christ himself in the midst of the busyness of life. He, he, he doesn't allow the, the busyness or the strain of life to become an excuse for some type of particular gross sin. The Reverend Donnelly, when he was preaching through this subject, said, An elder must be a man who bears the scars of battle with himself. It's obvious that he fights against his own sins. He will never ask anyone to do what he himself is not willing to do. And Paul talks about self-control in several different areas uh, in this list of qualifications. He uh, mentions, uh, we'll think more about it on, on Wednesday night, but he talks about the man's faithfulness to his wife, which obviously will involve controlling sexual desires. He says in verse 3 that the elder should not be a drunkard, which means controlling uh, an appetite for alcohol. Uh, could even as well, he talks as well about not being a glutton, so even uh, control of, of food and other things. He's a man who doesn't allow anything or anyone to control him other than the Holy Spirit. Paul also says that the elder must show self-control with regard to money. And again, this is included in both the Timothy and the, the Titus passages. Some people wake up in the morning and all they are concerned with on that particular day is making money. Day after day after day. Wealth has become their God and they are willing to sacrifice family, marriage, hobbies, even integrity on the altar of making money. Now of course, of course, it is not a sin to work hard at a business, to cause that business to flourish, to be prosperous. Far from it. The kingdom of God can be well served by men and women who are wise and successful in business and who use their wealth in God-honoring ways. But an elder must not be the kind of man who is just always thinking about profit. Who will stop at nothing to get more money. An elder is a man who believes the words of the Lord Jesus. Who has said that those who are always tearing down their barns to build bigger ones. Who are just always thinking about piling up the pounds. They're fools. The elder believes Jesus when he says that the treasure of heaven will be far, far more satisfying than any amount or any kind of treasure that we get our hands on here on earth. Indeed, that's the belief that will take the elder to his regular elders' meetings or to presbytery or to a synod meeting instead of another night of work or relaxing in front of the fire and the football on the sofa because he believes that what he has been called to do as a shepherd in the flock of Christ is infinitely more important and worthwhile. The last qualification or, or group of qualifications is there in Titus chapter 1 verse 8. He must be a lover of good, self-controlled, upright and holy. A lover of good, self-controlled, upright and holy. What Paul is really saying with all those words, friends, is that he's a man of integrity. A thoroughly honest man. The type of man that we were singing about in Psalm 15 earlier on. A man who can be trusted. A man who what you see is what you get. That's the question to ask about those that you consider voting for on Wednesday week. Is he a holy man? Striving by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfectly holy man. Ladies, is he the kind of man you would want your sons to be? And men, is he the kind of man that we would like to be more like? If Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church and we're choosing under shepherds in the church, then really what we're saying is that we're looking for men who are like Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. That's the goal of all our lives as Christians, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those that we appoint to lead should particularly help us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders don't exist to say, listen to us. They exist to say, listen to him. Look at him, the good shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for the sheep and follow him as you see us following him. Paul was able to say in Philippians 4 verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice those things and the God of peace will be with you. And so friends, I hope you've been praying regularly and earnestly about this. Please continue to do so. Here are some of the things that an elder must be. They are not negotiable. He must be a man. He must be a Christian man and a strong Christian man at that. He must be a self-controlled and holy man, eagerly following and eager for others also to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.